0: soul cleansing blood of the lamb are your garments spotless are they white as snow are you washed in the blood of the lamb Wonder working power in the blood blood, of the Lamb. Lamb. There is power, power, power. sin destroying power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Are you wise wise in the blood, in the the soul cleansing blood?
1: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I am very concerned. I am so broken today. I'm not sure how I'm going to even be able to do the broadcast with any sense of assurance. America is crashing. We are going over the cliff. I want to share with you a financial blog. It's written by Charles Hugh Smith. I'll just share a piece of this. Sadly, as markets stall and crash, participants will still be in their seats thinking all is well. The tragic 2009 crash of Air France Flight 44-7 offers an apt analogy for the global economy and central bank-driven fault signals. Flight 447 entered an area of frigid turbulence over the Atlantic, which caused the airspeed sensors to ice up. A few minutes later, the autopilot disengaged, and the co-pilot, flying the aircraft, overcorrected in the turbulence. Deprived of accurate airspeed readings, the co pilot misjudged the situation and attempted to climb, causing the aircraft to stall. Unable to recover, it crashed into the Atlantic, killing all on board. The co pilot's last recorded words are haunting We're going to crash. This can't be true. What's happening? The Federal Reserve's massive pimping of the stock market has frozen free market feedback, generating wildly inaccurate readings, which are leading participants to their doom. Stripped of price discovery and accurate readings of risk, participants are attempting to recover recent highs, a misreading of reality that will cause the stock market to stall and crash. In effect, the Fed is jamming the equities market light on green when it should be flashing red and a stall alarm should be sounding. Participants in the current manic rally are looking at the indicator light, a steady green, indicating A-OK, when in reality, the global economy has stalled out and is crashing. I won't read any more. You get the picture. We are plunging. America and the world is plunging into the greatest depression it has ever known. Now, many of you don't see that. You just see that you're not going to work or you are going to work and you're seeing that restaurants are closed and you're hearing that maybe some businesses won't recover. Do you understand what's happening? Oil went negative. It's a petrodollar. When oil crashes and goes to zero and below, you're crashing the whole economy because everything is connected to oil. The economy is crashing. The Fed will crash. The central banks will crash. Many banks will close. Many will lose their money. Many are going to lose their retirement, their 401Ks. we're in trouble we're in deep trouble I had a dream I want to share it with you it's rather stark I've had a hard time praying through it weeping and calling upon the Lord to give me understanding I believe this morning he gave me my answer I was driving in the dream, what, what happened is I laid down to go to sleep, and as soon as I laid down to go to sleep I was out and this dream hit me right in the face. I was driving down a long dark road, and I knew I was driving too fast when suddenly behind me red flashing lights. And I said, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I'm going to get a ticket. The car pulled up behind me as I pulled off the highway. And I sat in the car waiting for the policeman to come to my window, and no one came. So I opened my door and got out and walked back to the car. And as I walked back to it, I saw it was not a police car. There was a woman sitting in the front with a nurse's cap on. And the back door was open. I looked in, and there were two nurses working over a baby, trying to give it breath, trying to breathe into its nostrils. It was not breathing. They said, Sir, can you help? I said, Give me the baby. I took the baby in my arms, And I saw that there was a cloth covering its face. And so I began to remove that cloth and discovered, as I gently removed it, that it was in the baby's mouth. And so I began to pull, and about six inches of fabric came out of that little baby's mouth. I turned the baby over and gently patted its back and said, in the name of Jesus, breathe. And breath, a huge breath came into that baby. I turned the baby over and gently held it and watched as it returned to normal. And then I woke up. I've prayed, Lord, what does what does this dream mean? And a dear brother that I shared this dream with said to me this morning pastor, "You've spent your whole whole time, you've spent your whole life trying to resuscitate the church. you've preached day after day, year after year, until now I have way more than a thousand youtube videos and and many more broadcasts beyond that that weren't on YouTube, trying to resuscitate the church." because it has jammed down its throat false teaching. It has jammed down its throat worldliness. It has sin jammed down its throat and that has to be removed so it can breathe again. The church is dying. Two years ago, I was invited to speak in a revival series in an Anglican church in the Washington metro area, a large church. I was invited by the pastor. And so I went to the Sunday service and made the announcement, invited people to come, and many people came. And I began to lay out the cause for righteousness, for holiness in the church. The next meeting, there were fewer people there. And I, with some others, had prayed earnestly before I went to that meeting. And I laid out the sin of that congregation. I knew many in that church. I knew what their spiritual condition was. And I laid out for that Anglican church the cause for revival. And it started with repentance. Turning away from NASCAR entertainment, turning away from the television, turning away from the professional sports, it meant finally coming to terms with what it meant to follow Jesus. The bishop found out what I was saying, and the pastor was promptly ordered to dismiss me, not only to dismiss me, but to forbid me from ever coming on their campus. I was put out. Now, I felt greatly honored because John Wesley was also kicked out of the Anglican Church for the same reasons. He preached holiness. He preached that you could turn from all known sin and be made righteous in the presence of God and that that righteousness was love. That's what I preached. But They were very angry and they cast me out. Well, I happen to know that that church has a very large mortgage on a new building. church refused to repent the pastor was sent packing he moved to Ohio they brought in a new man to try to normalize their church and get it back on a growth track I can tell you written over that church is Ichabod they are losing their church. They may not know it yet, but they are. Why? Because they refuse to repent and pray. They held no prayer meeting in that church. They were somewhat put off when I suggested we hold a prayer meeting. Nobody will come, they said. And that's true. but they're only one of thousands of churches across America that are in the same condition, and Ichabod is written over those churches. They have not repented of their sin. They've not turned from wickedness. They're filled with worldliness, very religious, perhaps, but filled with worldliness, with pride, with arrogance, with sin. Hearts breaking for the church in America. It's not a casual matter. The church buildings are closed down. We are diving into a depression. They're not going to be able to pay their mortgages. Many are going to lose their buildings, they'll be foreclosed on, they'll sit empty. It's time to pray. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming again. And I've entitled this broadcast, Why Don't You Pray? I'm going to look at that. For you. Why don't you pray? I know, I hear you. Pastor, I pray. Do you really pray? Some of you pray like a nagging wife oh honey remember this remember that please do this take care of this for me casual laid back God, if you would just straighten out Mr. Trump and if you would just do this over here and if you just take care of that and and stop the abortions, Lord, and and do this and do that and, and you've given God all of his instructions. We're not here to give God instructions. We're here to humble our heart and to earnestly pray and let the gushings of our soul be released into this presence of almighty God. I want to read a passage of scripture for you. And then I'm going to go through the four main reasons why you probably don't really pray. I'm not talking about the polite little prayers where you go through your prayer list and pray for Mary and John and, and Bob Sorto and, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real prayer where you touch the throne of God and it makes a a difference. And you see the change in the physical realm because you touch the throne of God. Now, please, I may sound stern, but I'm not angry. I'm just desperately concerned for the American church that is in the process of dying because it can't breathe the breath of God is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can't come into the church because its air passages are stuffed full of false doctrine and pride and sin so the church in America is dying in some way we have to have the church revived or resurrected we're in trouble Matthew no, I'm sorry, Luke, the 11th chapter, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so he prays that wonderful Lord's Prayer, which is the model for my prayer. I'm not going to talk about the how today. I'm going to do that later. Today I'm going to talk about why we're not doing it. And then we're going to talk about, okay, are you ready? Let's talk about how you really enter the presence of God. Brother and sister, if we don't learn how to enter the presence of God, we're going to die and the church is going to be lost. He said to them, pardon me, chapter 11, verse 5. Who from among you will have a friend, and will go to him at midnight, and may say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, since a friend came to me from a journey, and I have nothing that I will set before him. And he, having answered inside, may say, You must stop causing me trouble, the door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up to give you anything. Now you understand, that's the condition. The church has nothing to offer the world right now. We can't even breathe. We've blocked the Holy Spirit with our casualness and our wickedness, with our religion. We've blocked the breath of the Holy Spirit so he can't breathe into us. Verse 8, I say to you, even if he will not get up to give him because being his friend, at least because of his shameless persistence. After having been awakened, he will give him as much as he needs. And so I say to you, you must keep on asking, and it will be given to you. You must keep on seeking, and you will find. You must keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone asking receives, and the one seeking will find to the one knocking it will be opened. Now which father of you, if the son will ask for bread, he will not give him a stone, will he? Or even a fish, he will not instead of a fish give him a snake, will he? Or even if he might ask for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then being evil, How to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Father from heaven give the Holy Spirit to the ones asking Him? The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. He will give us His breath and we can begin to live again. He's not going to give us a scorpion or a snake, but we must come asking. So, why don't we pray? Let's look at what I have found as a pastor to be the chief reasons for why we don't really pray. I'm not talking again. I'm not talking about the polite little, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers that go on in almost every church. I'm not talking about the pastor praying with his flowery words and expressing grand ideals. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God. Finally, getting down on our face before God and dealing honestly. Well, number one, the chief reason people don't pray today is they don't have to pray. Most people only pray when they have to. When things become so painful and so difficult that they have nowhere else to turn and finally they say, okay, I'll pray. And usually they pray for a short time, they give up, and they crash and burn. They end up in divorce, they end up broke, they lose their house, they lose their car. They're saying, I prayed, but nothing happened, God wouldn't answer. Now, most people don't have to pray because you've got a credit card, you've got a job, and you've got a regular income you have a house to live in, you can go to a doctor. You don't have to pray. Well, as you see, that's now changing in America. Americans are now not going to be able to cover their mortgage or their rent, many of them. Some of you are still covering everything. You're still working. You're restricted a little on not being able to go to your favorite restaurant. But that's an inconvenience that you can handle. You can cook at home. You can take care of your family. And many of you are. But some of you are going to run out of everything. And soon, most of you listening are going to run out of everything. And then you're going to have to pray. There won't be any other avenue of escape for you. Now, the second reason people don't pray is they don't believe it will change anything. Prayer is nice, but it's benign. It doesn't do anything. When I talk with a person, I judge their prayer life by whether or not they can get down on their face before God and cry aloud to Him and change what's happening in the physical world. If your prayers don't change what's happening in the physical realm, you will come to the conclusion that prayer doesn't change anything, that it's a nice exercise, that it's even perhaps therapeutic. But it's not really what's going to make the difference between paying your mortgage or not paying it. It's not going to make the difference between whether you live or die of that disease. It's not going to make any difference. It's just a nice thing that we say to comfort one another. I'll pray for you, brother. And what some people mean when they say that is I'll send nice feelings your direction. I'll send love toward you. In fact, I've had some worldly people just say to me, flat out pastor I'll send my love to you I'll send kind thoughts to your direction because that's what makes the difference that's humanism praying but you don't really believe it'll make any difference the third reason people don't pray is a follow on They don't have time to pray. I mean, if it's not going to move them forward in their career, if it's not going to take care of the problem with the children, if it's not going to mend the marriage, if it's not going to heal their disease, if it's not going to do anything for them, come on. I've got to move on and do what I know I can do to take care of business. I don't have time to pray. It's nice. It's it's peaceful meditation. but I'm not going to pray because I don't have time. And so they then begin to, if they're calling themselves Christians, they'll begin to shoot prayers at God from, from the car as they're driving down the road toward their job. Bless me today, Lord. Give me success today, Lord. Take away this headache, please, Lord. As though he were in the back seat as our servant taking notes to be sure he covers all the things we're asking him to do. All the while, we don't believe he's going to take away the headache, and we don't believe he's going to cover us. So it's kind of a useless exercise, but it makes us feel a little better. We've at least prayed. But let's get to the real reason for why you don't pray. You don't pray because you don't want to pray. You don't pray because you don't want to pray. I mean, really pray. Frankly, it's uncomfortable. And many of you are sufficiently distant from God That it would take you some serious time on your face before you could get close enough to God that He would even answer your prayers. You have so distanced yourself, and I'll be very straight with you the American church is so far away from Jesus, and we are so content with our music, praise, and worship. We're so content with our worldliness in the church. We're so content with our building programs and we're so content with our community services that there's no need to pray. We don't want to pray. We want to sing praises and hear the band and be entertained. We want the preacher to give us some nice soothing words and some some inspiration. Maybe we could cry a tear or two and have a couple laughs and go home charged up, ready, because we've heard these positive statements about faith and about how good we are and what God wants to do for us and how he loves us so much. And wow, we're on our way back into a busy world, fighting the devil, trying to accomplish our great agendas. Forgive me, I don't mean to be cynical. Just right on the point, we don't pray in America because we don't want to pray and we don't have to pray. So what do we do? Well, if, if there's something moving your heart called the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is coming and trying to breathe into you the breath of life, and I can tell you right now he is, that breathing of his Holy Spirit into your life will first look like the conviction of a need that you can't make it without the Holy Spirit. Now this church I told you the story about that, that didn't want me to continue preaching to them because they were angry about my identifying the sins of the church. They didn't want to breathe. They wanted a Holy Spirit revival, but they didn't want a Holy Spirit revival that convicted them of their sin. The first thing the Holy Spirit does as he begins to breathe life into a person is before he breathes that life, he begins to clear out the throat the air passage. Holy Spirit can't breathe into a man who has his air passage packed with wickedness and sin, entertainment, worldliness. He's going to say, man, I'm doing fine without the breathing of the Holy Spirit into my, into my lungs. And so the first thing he has to do is come and begin to convict us. The thing he has to do is begin to come and say, Look, will you get serious with me? Will you come and humbly get on your face before me? And would you stop all the nonsense? Stop your foolish prayers. Stop treating God like He's Santa Claus. And he's there to give you everything you're asking him. Come and begin to be very honest with him about your condition. Begin to pray out loud. If you're praying while you lay in bed, you're not really praying. To really pray, you're going to have to pray out loud like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. You're going to have to cry aloud to the Lord. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was heard because of his loud cries, his weeping, and then because of his submission. Lord, your will, not mine. You're going to have to begin, or should I put it this way, all honest prayer begins with entering into the presence of Jesus. I remember many years ago, I was in such desperate trouble. The house that I was in was going to be, I was going to be evicted. The utilities were all being turned off. There was a repo order on my car. I had no food. I was in desperate, desperate condition. And I lay on my face, repenting before God, asking him to come and rescue me. He had to bring me to the utter end. Where finally I said to God, I'm dying. I can't live like this. My life is over. And he answered audibly, and he said to me, Good, I've been waiting for you to die. And I was so angry with him. How can you say that to me? Look, I've been a pastor. I've, I've given my life to you he said to me audibly out of 1 Corinthians 6 you were bought at a price you are not your own oh I climb down in a minute the beginning of prayer must always begin the same way if you want to enter the presence of God you're going to have to Honestly, come into his presence and begin to admit your true condition before him. You're not going to waltz into the presence of God and say, oh, hi, God, you're my best buddy. Are you kidding me? He is God. He is almighty. If you walk into the presence of God with no fear, saying, oh, God loves me and and, and he's my best friend, I've never met a man or woman yet who is serious about Jesus, who says, he's my best friend. People who say that are shallow. They don't know how to pray. They don't really know who Jesus is or who God is. They have a made up. Like, a, like my daughter, when she was just a little girl, she had this wonderful, invisible friend. Well, God is not a wonderful, invisible friend. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the majesty of heaven. He is the judge of all the world. He is your judge. If you're going to pray, if you're going to reach God, now please hear me. Because you may not need to reach God today, but very soon as the deep depression strikes America and we begin to lose everything, you're going to want to get to God. There's only one way to get to God. And that's by being humbled in his presence. And come with honesty about our true condition and our foolishness before him. And we begin with confession of sin. And repentance with tears. If there are no tears, there is no conviction. I'll say that again. If there are no tears, there's no conviction. When was the last time you wept before God? When was the last time you went before Him without playing any games? This is why you don't want to pray. Because you don't want to go before God and unbear, uncover, open the deepest part of your heart and say, God, I've been so cynical and I've been so angry and I've been so casual and I'm dying. You don't want to do that. It humbles your heart. God has no time for the proud. The proud can pray to him all day and all night and nothing will happen. And I have seen men who hold all night prayer meetings and the church comes together and meets the whole night. And at the end of the night, God didn't speak. Why? They were too big in their own eyes for God to answer. They prayed all night out of their religion and their flesh. But they never uncovered their hearts before Almighty God. They never confessed their sins one to another. and never came to terms with the Holy God of Heaven. you want to know God and you need to reach the throne room and you need God to save you you've got to go through the door of conviction from the Holy Spirit and if you feel no conviction you have to confess Lord I feel no conviction I have no sense of of sin all I know is that you're very distant from me and that when I pray nothing seems to happen Which tells me I'm in trouble with you, Jesus. That's where you're going to have to start. And then you're going to have to do what it says in Luke 11. You're going to have to keep on asking, you're going to have to keep on seeking, you're going to have to keep on knocking until you have reached the very depths of your heart and uncovered it before Almighty God, until you have, by the power of the Holy Spirit, identified the sin and the wickedness and the shallowness and the casualness of your heart, you're going to have to go much deeper than you've ever imagined going before. Some of you have never once ever gotten honest with another person, let alone honest with God. You've always had to be right. Self-righteous. I have people who reach out to me and I don't even bother to respond because when they reach out, the self-righteousness goes in front of their message and I can't stand it. I know God can't stand our self-righteousness. It is as filthy rags before him. It has a stench. So if you really need to pray, if you really need to reach out and touch the throne of God, if you need to be delivered, you're going to have to begin calling on the Holy Spirit to convict your heart and show you the ugly shallowness of your heart. You're going to have to get uncovered. You're going to have to get naked before the Almighty God. As you get naked before Almighty God. As you have confessed your sin, as you have turned from it, as you have continually kept on asking, seeking and knocking, it's not because God is hard to reach, it's because we're so far from Him and our throats are so filled with our wickedness that there's no way we can breathe in the Holy Spirit until we have cleared that air passage through repentance and confession and humbling of our hearts. And as we do that, as we submit to Him, He'll begin to speak to us. The Holy Spirit will begin to breathe into us his breath, and we will begin to take our first halting breaths of air. And that presence of the Holy Spirit will begin to totally change us. And we will lose the blue hue of our skin from lack of oxygen, and we will begin to flush with the presence of the Holy Spirit. This morning as I was In his presence, I began to pray. I began to pray for several people in my life, people that I love, who are in trouble. For two of them, the Lord gave me a very specific word. One was a word of direction, and one was a word of great encouragement. I prayed for another person that the Lord has told me to look after. The Lord didn't tell me what happened as I prayed, but I just knew that as I prayed, that person was being strengthened and encouraged. I knew that the presence of God was surrounding them and supporting them in response to my prayer for them. Some people we can't go and talk to because they're not ready to be at that level with us. But the Holy Spirit will tell us, yes, your prayer heard. I heard you. I'm doing it. It's not by my hand. It's by the Holy Spirit's hand. You see, the Holy Spirit moves in Power. With a sweep of his hand, he changes everything in a person's life. And we begin to have power in our prayer life. The unconverted are converted. The lost are saved. You see, I know the only place where I have power when I'm breathing in the Holy Spirit. And I've been so broken for you this morning, I've wept over you. Because I know many of you, you don't pray because you're blocked up with all the world's stuff. Your throat is so stuffed with stuff that you can't breathe in the Holy Spirit. That breaks my heart. I'm crying out for the church in America to be resuscitated, to be brought back to life. We're about, as a church in America, to be swept away. We're about to lose the buildings. We're about to crash and burn because we've been so filled with wickedness and foolishness and pride and arrogance and theology one brother said to me something that blew my mind. He said he and his wife had been reading the the writings of John Calvin in the Institutes as their devotional. I can't imagine reading the Institutes for Devotional Life or reading R.C. Sproul's books with all of their argumentation. Oh, my heart cringes before God for you. I've come preaching day after day, revival, resuscitation, being filled with the Holy Spirit, turning away from sin, righteousness and holiness, And most of you have just yawned. Oh, that's a good word, Pastor. Thank you. No, come on. Pray. Pray. Get on your face before God and get serious with him. Get honest with him. The church is being swept away by this depression that's coming upon our nation. Price discovery has been destroyed by the Federal Reserve, by the central banks. Well, price discovery has been destroyed by the modern church's pastors. They have preached love, 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 casualness, game-playing, strategies for success, foolishness. My heart is broken. It's got to be a change. We can't continue this way. Oh, Lord. I've shared the word that you put on my heart. My heart is broken. I know the church today can't breathe because there's no room for the Holy Spirit. It's just all... It's all show, it's all entertainment, it's all religion, it's not weeping before you. It's not getting honest before you. It's not repentance before you. Almighty God. to do in the end when we are not saved because of our pride and our arrogance and our self-sufficiency oh Lord I ask humble my heart humble the church humble us Lord clear our air passage that we could breathe in the Holy Spirit that life could return. For Lord, I know we cannot truly pray to you without the breath of the Holy Spirit being in us. We can't pray effectively for the nation without the breath of the Holy Spirit being in us. God, Jesus, pour out your Holy Spirit. pray in your holy name amen i pray this message is disturbing to you today it is very disturbing to me i've been struggling with it since early this morning last night crying aloud to god about it saying i don't want to do this lord i don't want to give this message but i was compelled to talk to you just very briefly about the broadcast. I am prepared to go off the air. I'm prepared to close Pilgrim's Progress. If there is not a response from you to help cover the cost, I have no means of covering it. It's totally in Jesus' hands. And I don't know if he's going to let me continue preaching on the air in Washington, D.C., I'm waiting for him to reveal whether he wants me to continue. And I'll know he'll want me to continue if, if the resources are sent to cover the cost. It's almost $4,000. We're a long way from being able to cover it. As you pray, you get honest with God and you repent. He'll tell you what to do. I just know I have to be honest before God. And I have to say what he gives me to say. And either Jesus moves in your heart to cover the cost or I go off the air. And it's okay with me either way. If I go off the air, I'm just going to be hidden away in the prayer closet. And I won't be public. It's up to you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give online. I want to thank my dear sister Leslie, my dear sister Alicia, Sharon. I want to thank all of those who've given. God bless you. I'll wait to hear from you. I love you. I pray I can talk again with you soon.